Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Travel in time Or 
I can do is the best I can and go there in my That's what we try to do every Monday is once upon a long time ago, travel back to Eastern Airlines in our minds. And uh, no longer can we fly the beautiful airplanes uh, and the beautiful routes that uh, our airline once flew. We can still talk about them. And uh, I see we've got some uh, folks, uh, our our regular host, uh, George Jen up in New York. Hello, George. How are you? Hey, Neil. I'm doing okay. Thank you. How is everybody else? Uh, let's see. Let's see. There's there's Jim Holder in Georgia, I see. Raise yes, right sir. Hand. Right down here in the heart of Dixie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say, raise your right hand and identify yourself as a controller used to tell us at one time. You remember that control, air traffic controller, Mike? Uh, I can't say that I do. <laughs> yeah, we used to have an air traffic controller. I forgot whether it was Miami and or, or, or Atlanta. And uh, after a while, you get to know the voices of these guys. And, and this one guy recognizing my voice or whatever, he used to say, Hey, Eastern, raise your right hand for traffic, or air, <laughs> air, air, aircraft identification or something like that. Yeah, I got you inside, Eastern. The only the only controllers I seem to remember was when 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 uh, Reagan fired everybody, yeah. and uh, and I'd be flying over in the, in the likes of the Middle East uh, or over there in Saudi Arabia and whatnot. Every once in a while, I get a voice that I would hear that used to work uh, New York Center or whatever. <laughs> I finally talk, I could speak to somebody who spoke real good English because they were. All of those uh, international controllers spoke like they had a hot potato in their mouths anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Neil, you remember we had Margaret here in Atlanta working approach control and barge control. Margaret, and she'd just get all flustered and, you know, people that say, hey, calm down, Margaret. And she'd say, turn right 395 degrees and follow them. Come on, Margaret, calm down, calm down. Oh y'all have just got me so upset because you know? <laughs> that was a that was a long time ago in Atlanta when it wasn't. That was once upon a long there. time ago. You're right. There <laughs> you go. There you go. <laughs> oh Margaret. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Now you know I thought guys I see George and Mike and Jim I thought we'd talk a little bit about aviation leadership with Eastern Airlines. That's right down your alley, uh, uh, George, up there in New York. We can talk about leadership, but. I thought I would uh, ask the question about uh, who do you think, in your opinion, of course, uh, were the top three? Let's start with number three, two, and one, if we can do it that way, of uh, presidents of Eastern Airlines that made a difference. And and kindly uh, up to number one, like George Washington is as far as favorite presidents. But uh, uh, who wants to start? With number three, what, who do you think it would be number three, in your opinion? Now, it might not be Jim's or George's or Mike's or mine, but uh, number three, anybody. Well, well, I don't know about number three or four or whatever, but remember when oh. we had uh, Floyd Hall and a guy named Lewis? 
Yeah. And they were they were going to be who's going to be the president and everything. And I think that Lewis, uh, he went somewhere else. And a lot of people thought that was a bad move because he was he was going to try to run a lean and mean airline sort of like Delta had and and, uh, and Floyd Hall, you know, went the other way, you know, wanted to be like TWA where he came from, a type airline. And, and I don't know. I just remembered that, that a lot of Arthur D. Lewis, Arthur D. Lewis, that's his Arthur name. Arthur D. Art Lewis, right. And, yeah, and I remember he came to Chicago and talked to us, you know, right when the bootstrap thing started. And I yeah. was highly impressed by him. But uh, it was a battle between him and, uh, and Floyd Hall. Yeah. How about George? What do you think? Well, I think uh, in, in line with what Jim said, I believe that Bill Howard, who started Piedmont, who went to work, he didn't start it, but he went to work as a president of Piedmont because you know who kicked him out of uh, Eastern. Uh, he would have been an excellent CEO of Eastern, but uh, that little midget threw him the hell out. So, uh, Anyway, I think he would have been excellent in that position. Because yeah, he ran, well, I've heard he ran too. yeah, he ran he ran Piedmont. I mean, it was a great airline, and uh, you know, it expanded rapidly. Rapidly, it was great management, employee relations, and uh, I think he would have made an excellent, excellent uh, Eastern CEO. Of course, that was in the later years. Yeah. Mike, did uh, you hear your father talk about great leadership back when he was uh, working for Eastern? And what's your opinion? Well, he he only had good things to say about Eddie Rickenbacker because yeah, <laughs> because because he was the one that hired him. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He, he used to see him a lot. And when I was a kid, I think I might have mentioned it on some other uh, shows that when I was a little shaver, he used to bring me along to go down and uh, get his paycheck and. Uh, you know, stop in the stock room and get batteries for his flashlights and all that. And, and he'd always go up and check to see what was going on up at the at the Link Trainer where he was run. He ran the Link for a little while, and Rickenbacker's office was just down the hall. And uh, like I said, my dad was a tall guy, and so was uh, Rickenbacker. And I was probably five or six years old, and all I remember was looking up <laughs> at these two big mm-hmm. tall guys, you know. And, but yeah, when my Eastern days, you know, of course, uh, I didn't start with Eastern until in uh, late uh, late '67, and uh, uh, basically along came the Moon Man in '72, I believe it was, and uh, and I I left Eastern Airlines in '78, the end of '78, before all the quagmires started. So uh, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what was going on with all uh, the leaders. Yeah. Everything was going pretty well. Uh, up until that point, and I, you know, all I know is that afterwards everything kind of went south, and because uh, I would always stop, being as I was based with my uh, my second operation that I flew with over in Newark, so when I stopped on the way back, I, I would stop in to see the guys uh, at, at Hangar Nine there at Kennedy, and I could see the morale uh, from the leadership just uh, on a on a on a increasing decline. All the time, it just got worse and worse and worse until we all know what the final outcome was. I couldn't even get in yeah. to visit after a while, so. But it wasn't good, so. But anyway. Well, my three, two, and one, 
Three, uh, probably was Malcolm McIntyre. I started about time he was going out, and Jim, you too, but I consider mm-hmm. him being uh, the person that was responsible for the air shuttle, which was the most successful, I think, uh, extra profit center Eastern Airlines ever operated was that air shuttle. And that was a result of, uh, of Malcolm McIntyre. And then number two probably would be Floyd Hall. Floyd Hall brought a few things to Eastern. Um, he called it the sunrise at Eastern, but uh, he came the same year that you and I did, Jim, uh, to Eastern. Uh, we started at the bottom of the ladder. He started at the top of the ladder in 1963. Okay. And, uh, of course, the first... Uh, uh, person that, that I would consider the best leadership Eastern ever had over its history was uh, Rickenbacker. And uh, so that would be my number three, two, and one in that order. Now, speaking of who would have been a great president, and one that a lot of folks in management in my research over the years, over the last 10-plus years of Eastern history for these radio show episodes that we've been doing over well over 650 now um, probably was Rick Rivenbark and uh, mm-hmm. Rick Rivenbark was uh, was a, a very uh, educated man uh, an attorney uh, and he was uh, a lot of folks thought he was being groomed to be, take over Eastern but it didn't happen and uh, they sent him out to operate uh, an airline down in South America. I forgot the name of it. You probably remember either one of you. My mind doesn't mm-hmm. escape. It, it, it was uh, being operated under the uh, the uh, guidance of Eastern Airlines, and they sent uh, Rick down to, to run that airline. But, uh, of course, Floyd Hall had uh, World uh, Disney and had the 1011, which we had some bad publicity about, but yeah, that we had a few great leaders, and then of course, I think we all know who the worst one was. But uh, yeah. <laughs> we probably spent a whole show on that well, guy. Well, no, they, I think well, they, I were, can... they were. They were probably two of them, two of them, but one in particular who was there the longest, in my opinion, was the uh, absolute positive, one hundred percent worst. And and just to add to what you said, uh, Neil, I think that Mort Ehrlich. Would have made an excellent president. Yeah, he would and, have. Yep. Yeah, he he was promised the position, yep. but as you know, uh, uh, somebody stuck a knife in his back. So uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that, that never came about. Yeah. Well, I'm anyhow, bring in a wild you, know, you, here. you talk about Floyd Hall. I think I'd mentioned on a previous show that uh, my dad and Floyd Hall were they both worked for TWA before Eastern. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and my dad was just a little senior to Floyd Hall over there. <laughs> oh, <golly. laughs> in, the, in the TWA book, he's a couple of numbers. He was a couple of numbers ahead of him. All right, Jim, what do you say? Yeah. Okay. This is going to be a surprise to probably all of y'all, but I think a guy that would have made an excellent president of Eastern Airlines, but he wouldn't move to Miami. And he was a chief pilot, Perry Hudson. And he was offered uh, the job of 
Yeah. Offered the job of vice vice president of flight operations. And I believe had he taken that job, he might have moved up to been the president of Eastern. I don't know. I, I know, Neil, you know uh, Perry Hudson. Oh, do well, I know Perry Hudson? Uh, I know, I know Perry it. And he's yeah. a mayor yeah. of April. He's a state senator. He was a yeah. wonderful guy to fly with. But he would not leave Hapeville. He did not want to leave Atlanta. Yeah. And they tried yeah. to get him to go down there, and he wouldn't go. And had he gone, I bet you he'd have gone all the way to the top eventually. He probably was. He probably would have, yeah. I always told Perry he looked, and I think everybody else did, he looked like a twin brother to Bob Hope. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. he was Bob Hope's twin, but uh, what a great guy he was. Oh, You couldn't ask for a better guy to fly. You couldn't ask for a better chief pilot. couldn't ask for a better to fly with. Yep, Just an all-around right. wonderful yep. person. I've got stories about uh, Perry. And matter of fact, I, along with Charlie, um, I can't think of Charlie's last name. Handler? Uh, no, no. He, he's fly, Charlie, he, as a matter of fact, uh, he was in my flying club, and he got his job with Eastern uh, Golly Pete's. He used to work in Cruise Skid or out on a ramp. Air Rivers? <laughs> uh, no, no, Charlie. But at any rate, we were trying to recommend him for the Hall of Fame, Georgia Aviation Hall of Fame. And uh, I talked to Johnny Isaacson, the United States Senator for for uh, mm. Georgia. I called him and asked him if he would write a letter for Perry to get him into the Hall of Fame. And he said, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to because he knew Perry real well in, in the legislature, Georgia Assembly. And then when he became a senator, uh, Perry became a senator, state senator. And then, of course, Johnny went up to uh, U.S. senator for years. But uh, a prince of a guy, and he should be in the Georgia Aviation Hall of Fame. Wish I had more time to my life. I'd sure try to get him in there. But anyhow, I'm going to play a little John Denver music, and let's continue the discussion on the other side. Here we go. Born in the summer of his 27th year Coming home to a place he'd never been before He left yesterday behind him You might say he was born again You might say he found the key for every door When he first came to the mountains His life was far Thank you. 
Rocky Mountain High, good old John Denver. Yep, great music. Yeah. Hey, good talk on leadership. I enjoyed that. Now, I want to ask another question. Have any of you flown uh, in a blimp or a glider? Now, before we went on the air, I know Mike did, but I didn't hear George. George, have you ever been in a blimp or a glider? Uh, I was in a glider one time down in... uh... Clearwater, Florida. That was the only time. What'd you think of it? <laughs> Not too much, well, did you? <laughs> One time. <laughs> well, I liked the, the, the quiet of it, but uh, I don't know. Without an engine, it was uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit difficult to get used to, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, Mike. Yeah, you took yeah, a lesson. Exactly. And that was I it. Mean, uh... To me, uh, the quietness and uh, watching that little yaw string that they had up on uh, pinned up on the nose there, you could sit there and watch that with everything going on. And uh, plus the fact that uh, it was, uh, you know, they had that bubble canopy on that thing. This was in the middle of the summer that I did it. And it was, uh, I mean, I felt like I was in an oven when I was in that thing. <laughs> plus the fact it was dead quiet other than the instructor. I could hear him in the back there, you know, so... <laughs> You know, but very, I, very nice. You know, it was it was kind of nice, interesting, very interesting. I think the most time that any of us ever uh, familiar with a blimp was the Goodyear blimp at uh, Monday Night Football with a beer in our hand or something like that. You know, and uh, I remember passing that Goodyear blimp on the MacArthur Causeway down in Miami, where it was uh, based in the winter time. I believe it was in the winter time they brought it down. I don't know where the home base was, probably up north somewhere in Connecticut or somewhere like that. But I do remember uh, doing emergency landings at Richmond Blimp Base out there in in uh, Kendall, down by Kendall, Florida, south of Miami, Perrine, I think, somewhere down there. And it was called Richmond, Richmond Blimp Base. And it was abandoned, and it was... Uh, it was operated uh, from the Key West blimp base operation. And it was there for years. And that hangar, of course, uh, wasn't there any longer, but the structure that supported the hangar was. And uh, there were, were runways there, too. And uh, I remember when I used to fly as an instructor for Mary Gaffney at Kendall Flying School before Eastern Airlines, that I'd take the students over there and cut the engine on them, you know, just pull the throttle back and say, okay, now, you know, where are you going to land? 
in most most cases I was almost on top of the blimp base and they would find an old abandoned field somewhere <laughs> way away and aim for it you know and and forget that there's concrete under us but uh, an interesting base blimp base I wonder if that thing is still there well I got a I ran short of uh, getting a ride on the uh, the Goodyear blimp one time because when we were based in uh, L.A. at Air Research, as uh, where we were based with our R72, uh, uh, we did some tire, did a bunch of tires that we changed there. They were all we didn't use any recaps like the airlines do because it's obvious reasons, low utilization, but. The Goodyear uh, rep that uh, that we bought the tires through, he gave us uh, a couple of uh, pre- free passes to uh, to get a ride in the Goodyear blimp, which was down mm-hmm. around Torrance, was where they had it at that time. And somewhere in my archives, I still have the little uh, the little chit that they gave me for the for the free ride. But we were never based out there long enough to utilize it. So unfortunately, I never got up in a gas bag. <laughs> well, I do have a hot air balloon license, and it's a real CAA issued. That was free oh. FAA, and all you had to have was a commercial certificate. You could walk into the FAA office, and I did in Miami, and I said, I want a, a hot air balloon license, free balloon pilot, and I got it. It was issued to me. How about that? Well, Neil, you know. Uh, you asked about gliders. I actually yeah. flew a glider one time. Uh, I didn't do it intentionally, though. It was a T-33A, you know, <laughs> jet trainer. Uh, <laughs> and a it turned glider. into a glider. Yeah. And a flame out? <laughs> no, the engine tore up. Uh, but it uh, it's a long story, and y'all probably have read it in the Repartee magazine called Hacker 4, Where Are You? I was four ship in the fourth in the hacker four hacker flight, and the engine started tearing up. It's probably tearing up on takeoff. I was just too clocked, clocked up to realize it, but uh, <laughs> it actually quit about fifteen thousand feet. And they, I, they told me to turn around and go back and hit high key, which I did, and that was the end of that. Came on in and, and landed. But oh. uh, yeah, I flew a glider. Evidently it worked out okay They they gave me a double A rating On glider flying (laughs) Yeah I I gotta tell my little brother Now that he's glider rated (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah he is too Yeah Yeah. And also water landings Yeah and water landings Seaplane rating yeah (laughs) That's good I believe I'll call him right after the show And Telling that that's just what we discovered on the on our talk show here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is for somebody. I don't know who it's for, but let's listen to this one. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze, country road, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, 
Tree Road. All right. That, that must be Joe Manchin's song. Yeah, it is. I think it is. And, yeah, there you go. And it was made a hit by John Denver. <laughs> oh, you're talking about that, that that mansion. All right. Right, exactly. Uh, when was your last passenger flight and, and uh, after Eastern Airlines? You guys, have did you ever do any uh, actually paying for an airfare? And uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. did. Quite Where'd a you go? Which airline did you go on? Delta, right to Albuquerque. That's when Michael was out there in training, and she later became the commander of the squadron. And yeah. all that. So we went out to Albuquerque quite often. Karen and I did just to visit. Okay. Very good. Seven fifty-seven most of the time. Uh huh. How about you, George? Uh, only one time, Neil. Uh, for my 40th wedding anniversary, the uh, my former uh, companion wanted to go to Paris. So I said, fine. And, you know, U.S. Air flew to Paris. I said, well, we'll fly to Philly and, you know, we'll get first-class seats. No, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to pay. It was the only time in my life that I've ever – well, I shouldn't say that. I paid one other time, but it was the first time in my whole career – that I ever paid for a flight. So it was, from, yeah. it was from Kennedy to uh, Orly, I believe it was. Yeah. How about you, Mike? Well, my last flight was uh, when I retired. Uh, we were based in Oakland, and I flew home from Oakland to L.A., L.A. to uh, Kennedy on Delta. And that was my last flight. And the company, of course, paid us for... Uh, there's two of us used to fly all the time. My my chief of maintenance and flight engineer, who George knows, and uh, uh, we uh, the company always paid for first class tickets for us back and forth, coast to coast all the time. So, but that was my last flight when I uh, came back, and I haven't been on an airplane since. Really, well, I used to, an airliner. Yeah, I used to uh, teach, uh, instruct companies for their mortgage lender license and uh, mortgage loan originator and mortgage broker licenses. And uh, they, if they did mortgages in the state of Florida, I had a school and I used to uh, instruct the courses for the Florida license. And so I went out as far as Brownsville, Texas and Dallas and Albany, New York and uh, Cleveland, Ohio and Indianapolis and and uh, so I, w- I, w- I was able to have the companies that uh, hired me to do the instructing to qualify their uh, mortgage folks for uh, their license. I used to have them pay for my trips, but I paid for a couple of them myself. And it was so neat the way that you can do it now. And that is go on the Internet, find the airline that gives you the quickest way, the cheapest way, and uh without is without stops and so forth and and of course if it's your pocketbook you're going to find you don't mind making a couple of stops and uh if it saves you money but to go on the internet and reserve your own ticket and then have the the floor plan of the airplane that you're going to go on and select the seat i thought that was pretty cool that i could make yeah, my own spoiled. reservations yeah that I was, was really neat. doing that I, I did like it for that. years. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Man, well, if I try to do that, 
I'd end up in Siberia somehow if I tried to do it on <laughs> George, what do you got? <laughs> well, I, I had one other thing I forgot about. Uh, about three years ago, I went down to uh, uh, Panama to go fishing in the middle of the winter. And I, I forget which airline, but I could have gotten a, uh, a nonstop flight to Panama. But I said, you know, I want to go through Miami. I want to see what it looks like because I haven't been there in such a long period of time. So uh, I booked a flight on American, and it had a uh, about an hour and a half layover in Miami. And I, I just couldn't believe the changes in Miami Airport. Uh, yeah. You know, now they had a mono, they have a monorail that runs around through all the terminals. They have all these, uh, you know, shops there now and restaurants that were never there when, when you know, I flew – out of Miami for Eastern, and uh, even the uh, Taj Mahal was – there was another building there in its place, but it wasn't had, – had, I don't believe it had anything to do with the airlines. But, uh, you know, I couldn't get over that way, but you could see it from the terminal. And, uh, I mean, the change was – the transformation was just unbelievable, you know. George, you know, I when you mentioned that, I think if um, – uh, if we that haven't flown and flew for airlines in and out of airport terminals, if we visited uh, just a few of the ones that we used to fly into, I don't even think we would recognize them. I mean, Atlanta, I haven't been to Atlanta in a while and flown in or out, but uh, golly, Pete, that thing is huge, that airport. Yep. Yeah. Well, LaGuardia, you know, it's right in the midst of a a major renovation now. Yeah. I was Wondering, you know, I don't know if I could find my way around there anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 just oh. changed so much. Yeah. The airports have never been finished. They're all under, yeah. under constant renovation, as we all know. Kind of like runaways, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Well, Jim, do you uh, get to go to the Atlanta airport often? I know you you did when the plaques of the pilots were going up on the walls. And uh, by the way, tell us about that while you're on the air. Tell us about about the uh, the memorial plaque that uh, that you guys installed in the Atlanta terminal, if you don't mind. Oh yeah, that was about a ten year project and we the one that came up from Miami where you it just filled up and we didn't have any more room uh, on the plaque and didn't know what to do and Jerry Frost came up with a wonderful idea which at first I thought this would never work that we were going to list all the eastern pilots and put it up there and uh, the more we thought about it and the MEC went for it and we did it and we Jerry and I worked about eight years with all these seniority lists, except we didn't have a single one in the 50s. Nobody had, if anybody had them, we didn't get it from them. And we did not realize uh, how many people came in the 50s and left in the 50s, and we did not have any record of them ever having been there. Let me unplug my speaker here. Always forget to undo something, excuse me. But uh, that that was an ongoing project, I'll tell you. And we finally got 16,000 names narrowed down to, what was it? Uh, I forgot, 6,000-something. And uh, Bob Grouty uh, helped us big time. Sandy 
uh, McCullough did too. But it, to get all those names, and then Jared Jared did all of the work with the American Foundries up in New York somewhere, and and we got it and we put it up, uh, and the, the, they wouldn't let us put it up until after ten at night. So we went out there and did it, and then we had a dedication, and they let us. Uh, Gave us a bullhorn and had a lot of people show up for it. And there's been a tremendous amount of people that have commented on it. And we raised uh, over $45,000, and it cost about 25000 So that tells you something right there. What, the what terminal is it in, Jim? What terminal it's is it in? It's in the North Terminal, right opposite Gate East, uh, 7, 5 North. Five North. If you go over to Five North Gate on the North Turnable in Atlanta and go right between the two ticket counters, you'll see it right there on the right. And okay. since then, we put airplane photos up there, too, paintings, and to make it look real good. We had to put a supplement on. A supplement had about 140 names, as I recall, that people we missed. And we missed a tremendous amount of guys that went, came and went between two seniority lists, and we didn't know it till. Roscoe Trivet's son, Steve, came up to me at the dedication and said, Captain, hold of my name's not on there. I said, of course it is, you know. Went over there and it wasn't. That was the biggest shock. I mean, uh, I still get mad at Roscoe every time I think about it. And he apologized <laughs> at the Silver, Silver Falcon Convention. He came over and said, I'm sorry, Jim, I'm sorry. I should have seen that Steve, my son, wasn't on the list. Well, you guys did a did an excellent job on that thing. I've been by yeah. to see that, and also I I dealt with uh, Bob Drowdy uh, during mm-hmm. that operation, and uh, he was kind enough to take the old plaques before they got melted down or whatever, and he mm-hmm. took my dad's name out and about four or five others, which I oh, forwarded. Yeah, he he took, sent them to yeah. me, and I forwarded them on wow. to the uh, respective mm-hmm. people who wanted them, and I still got my dad sitting right here on the desk. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. well, you know, Neil, yeah, the, um, the the second officer on uh, Eastern Flight 980 that crashed outside of La Paz, his, his mm-hmm. name wasn't on there either. And uh, his daughter, Stacy Greer, had flown a trip that went through Atlanta, and she uh, she brought that to my attention. And I got in touch with Jim and Jerry Frost, and I they got to work right on it and now his name is up there which is uh, oh, that, really that's nice. great. Yep. Great, great. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh and his name George Mark Bird. Mark Bird. Yeah, Mark okay. Bird. Yes. Yeah. Mark Bird, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how long had he been how long had he been Oh, he was brand new. Brand new. Yeah, he only had like 3 months with the company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, very interesting. Okay. Well, I got another one here for you guys. Just a short version. We don't play all the whole length of them because some of these songs are four and five and six minutes. So whenever I feel like I want to slide it down, I do it. But uh, all of us are uh, what the description, I think most of us are the description. With the, I don't know about George and Mike up there, but uh, Jim, I know you and I uh, are pretty much the title of this next song. Well, life on the farm is kind of laid back. Ain't much an old country boy like me came hack. Early to rise, early in a sack. I thank God I'm a country boy. 
Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm. Raising me a family and working on the farm. Days are all filled with an easy country charm. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife. I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the griddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. When the work's all done and the sun sets low, pull out the fiddle and the rods and up the bow. Kids are asleep, so I keep a catalog. And thank God I'm a country boy. Valley good and all day if I could, but the Lord and my wife wouldn't take it very good. So I fiddle when I can, work when I should. And thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife, I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the riddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. Them money hungry fool. Rather have my fiddle and my farm and tools. Thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah, city folks driving in a black limousine. A lot of sad people think I'm not somebody keen. Son, let me tell you now exactly what I mean. I thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife, I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the riddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah. But my dad is ill the day he died And he took me by the hand Held me close to his side Said live a good life Play my fiddle and cry And thank God you're a country boy Well, my daddy taught me young How to hunt and how to whittle Taught me how to work and play a thing on a fiddle Taught me how to love and how to give just a little And thank God I'm a country boy Well, I got me a fine wife I got me old fiddle When the sun's coming up I got cakes on the riddle Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle Country boy, yeah. Yes. Oh, doing a little, uh, oh, a little knee slapping there. Foot stomper. Foot stomping, knee slapping. slapping. <laughs> Up here in New York, it's forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. <laughs> okay. All right, my last topic here. Throw out here, and now, now it's it's uh, an in-flight emergencies that caused you. Uh, all three of us, four of us, are pilots. And um, did did you ever get off your flight plan from your destination and have to land at another airport? And yep. um, tell me about it. Tell me about it, Mike. Tell me about your experience. Well, let's see. I, three times for me. I had to do it, uh, of course, twice I had to dump fuel. We had on our airplane, uh, you know, corporate ones, we had auxiliary fuel tanks down in the belly. And uh, back in the early days, they had problems with the solenoid valves and the regulators, and uh, it was always a a guessing game as to whether the fuel was going to transfer when it was time because it ran off of bleed air. There were no boost pumps on those things. They ran off uh, eight-stage bleed. It was regulated down to 8 to 10 PSI. And if the regulators got hung up, 
you couldn't pressurize the tanks. But anyway, the first one was uh, we were going from Kuwait to London, and the Yorks fuel wouldn't transfer. Well, we can't transfer it. You can't use it. So we had to divert into Cairo. <laughs> and they wanted cash. They wanted cash for fuel. Well, yeah. we tried to fix the problem there, and uh, we never did get the problem fixed correctly. So we took on enough. We had to we had to fly the rest of the way with standard fuel. But in another time, we had to uh, coming up from uh, Saint uh, Lucia, I believe it was, stop in customs in Fort Lauderdale, going to uh, back to uh, San Francisco, and uh, we had the airplane was sitting uh, in an area where we ended up with some mud daubers that got into the pressurization system. And the pre- we had a problem with the pressurization all the way up to, uh, to uh, what do you call it, uh, to, to uh, Fort Lauderdale. We had to stay lower because we couldn't control it very well. So we tried to fix it while we were on the ground. Actually, it didn't divert. We were going into Fort Lauderdale anyway. Uh, the, the other, actually, the next leg was when we had to divert because we took off out of Fort Lauderdale with enough fuel to go to, to uh, San Francisco. However, the airplane wouldn't pressurize. So now, all of a sudden, i got to go out over the Everglades, dump fuel, <laughs> dump. come back into Fort Lauderdale again. So uh, so then we t- the guys try to fix it there. The guys from uh, Carnival uh, Cruise Lines, uh, you know, they had the, the Carnival uh, maintenance place there. And uh, they thought they had it fixed. So I filed two flight plans, one low-level to Dallas, where we could get maintenance done on the airplane, and another one high level to San Francisco. So we figure we'll ha- see what happened. So we, we we took off, couldn't pressurize, so we had to fly it all the way over the, overland to Dallas, and and, uh, and and put our other people in a hotel for a couple of days until we uh, until we got it fixed there, which we uh, finally did get it fixed, and we, we were okay from. From Dallas back to San Francisco, and then we had to cook through the whole system after that. Last but not least, coming across from England to uh, coming to Newark, uh, somewhere between uh, 40 and 50 west, uh, we lost a system hydraulics. So now we had to divert into uh, to Goose Bay to uh, to get that fixed. So that was another quagmire. <laughs> so, there's a few other ones, but those were the highlights. I'd let somebody else uh, how about it, George about or Jim? That's interesting. Yeah, Mike. I got. Go ahead, George. No, it's all right. I, I had a very, very nondescript, quiet career. Never had to do anything <laughs> like that. Hey, <laughs> That's well, the way I wanted it. <laughs> well, I got to well, tell you. Well, you know what? I, 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 the airline, the airline thing versus the corporate thing, you know, it's, uh, you, you had a lot of support with the airlines. In the corporate field, we used to call it the yo-yo system. You know how you spell yo-yo, Y-O-Y-O. That meant you were on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and, Jim, what's yours? Well, mine, I had, I, I guess, four or five times. Uh, but the one that I remember the most was about three weeks before I retired. And this was with American Transair out of Fort Myers to Midway. And uh, and uh, we left, beautiful, clear day, not a cloud in the sky, no, no just beautiful, wonderful. And 727-200, we were climbed out, going up to 29 
five, 300 knots. All of a sudden, we had two loud, distinct bangs, and the airplane lurched, both of them. And they both occurred about uh, two seconds apart, or three seconds. It was like bang, bang, like that. And the plane lurched and to the right and jerked. I said, what? I thought we hit something. How do you hit somebody at 29,000 climbing to 33, I think? And, of course, we didn't know what happened. What was that? And I looked down, and I saw we was right over Tampa almost, and I told the first stop to declare an emergency, telling them we want immediate clearance to land at Tampa. And, of course, the next loudest thing I heard was not those two bangs, but the senior flight attendant coming through the door <laughs> screaming, what the blankety-blank was that? <laughs> I mean, she was loud. Of course, everybody on the airplane scared to death, including me. And I snatched the power back, looked at all three engines were running fine. And so we leveled off, and I started slowing. We was doing about 300, and we didn't know what was going on. And the, and the flight controls were shuddering in the I could hardly see my hand on the yoke. It's vibrating so fast. So I figured it had something to do with flight control. And that's what's scary because, you know, you got to have flight control. Nothing else kind yeah. of matters if you can't control the airplane. But it did mm-hmm. seem to be okay, and I established a 250 slow descent. And of course, they cleared everybody out of our way, and we started down. And, of course, they were wanting to know what happened, and we told them we didn't know. We had, Just like I described it, we have two loud bangs and two jerked. The airplane lurched. I mean, just went on like that. And I figured something fell off the airplane, but when I pulled the power back to idle, the engines looked good and it was still getting the vibration. So we made a slow descent and took going to land at Tampa. And, uh, and you know, we were up pretty high and coming down at 250, you know, with power pretty much idle. And uh, we were on a westerly heading to land south at Tampa going through about 12, 14,000 feet, and the first officer said, you know, why don't we tell them we, don't, we ought to go on over there to uh, uh, St. Pete, which ATA had St. Pete as a stop. They didn't have temp, and we had maintenance at St. Pete. And, uh, of course, I immediately claimed it as my idea, but it wasn't. It was the first officer's, but, uh, and I did give him credit in the report and all that. And so we said we, we can't get down any closer, you know, time-wise. Why not go where we can land and have maintenance and all that? And so we extended it and, and uh, passed north of the field, made a left turn, come back around in and landed. And I was worried that maybe some, the gear might not work too good either. You know, of course, they have fire trucks and all that stuff out. And I had 177 scared passengers and eight crew members, seven crew members were terrified too. But it came in and it landed and you know, smooth as silk, went into reverse, came in, taxied back. I told them to leave the flaps down so they could look around. And by the time we got off the airplane, all the passengers, they were cheering and crying and kissing the concrete and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they came, the mechanics came back and said, we don't see anything wrong. I said, how could you not see something wrong? They said, we don't see nothing. And they were crawling all, they had about six maintenance guys, and they were crawling all over that airplane. And they couldn't see a thing. And, of course, we've been in touch with Indianapolis and told them and all this. And the, and the assistant chief pilot or whatever it was, a retired Delta guy, he called me and he said, Jim, would you consider taking off again and just buy you, just you and the crew? 
and go up and see see what's happening? I said, not hell no. <laughs> not no, but hell no. You, you tell me, you find something wrong with this airplane, and I'll go fly it. So they read, they stopped flag, they red stopped about three air going north, and we were able to take all our passengers somehow and got them out of there. And we had about six, uh, uh, what was the airline? Six uh, Southwest pilots were on board. And uh, they got off and said, what do you think happened? And I said, hell, I don't know. You know I don't know. But it turned out what it was because it happened again on that airplane about a week later. And what happened was the right inboard flap uh, crack broke. And the aerodynamically speaking, at that attitude and that airspeed and all that, it sucked those flaps out. And that's what uh, right, uh, caused the vibration on the inboard flap. We could uh, it was doing the vibrating with the flap. Actually, there was nothing wrong with the airplane except the flaps were all screwed up. And, mm -hmm. I, and surprisingly, I didn't have any aileron differential. I mean, when the when we got when the vibration finally quit, you know, it quit that's going through about fifteen thousand. It got slowed better and better and better, and finally it just quit altogether. And the plane flew normally, and uh, and that's what happened. But when it happened that time. In Indianapolis, they got back into the Indianapolis, and they said, we got to take this airplane apart. There's <laughs> something going on here. We don't know what it is. And, and they found that the track had broke on the right end board flap, and it extended aerodynamically, got sucked out. Well, I've got one that uh, wasn't uh, that type of emergency, or equipment emergency, but I was out over Control 1150, and the flight attendant came up and said, Captain, can you make an announcement uh, if there's a doctor on board? And we were out there about 37,000, somewhere around there, in a 727-200, full load, Miami to Kennedy. And uh, she wanted uh, me to ask if there was a doctor on board. We had a passenger in the back that uh, was unconscious. And uh, so, uh, yes, there was. There was a female uh, doctor, and she went back, and she uh, – got the vital signs i don't know how but she told the flight attendant to come up and tell me we needed to be on the on the ground right now and so i was a beam charleston and i was at 30 some thousand feet declared an emergency i went into charleston and i got there from 30 some thousand feet on a control 1150 which you know is about 150 200 miles out from from uh, the land i guess 100 miles anyhow and got down on the runway and landed in 15 minutes. So I was riding the barber pole the whole way down. Click, 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 Just click. Just like the sim. Yeah, click, clickety click. <laughs> got on the ground, mm -hmm. pulled up. The emergency vehicle was there. Uh, offloaded the passenger and his wife. They were in their 80s, and he died uh, going to the hospital. And uh, matter of fact, uh, a few weeks later, I got a letter from Frank Borman and the gentleman's son, who was an employee with Eastern Airlines, uh, the son was, and had gotten his father a ticket uh, to fly up to New York and um, from Miami, and uh, thanking me for getting the airplane on the ground when we did, and um, unfortunately, it wasn't soon enough, and um, that was that was my story. So, but I had some New York folks that were very unhappy because they missed their New York-Montreal connection. 
C'est la vie, huh? <laughs> yeah. All right. My yeah. last song. This is my last song, and it's an appropriate one. All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside your door. I hate to wake you up to say goodbye But the dawn is breaking, it's early morn The taxi's waiting, he's blown his horn Already I'm so lonesome I could die So kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you never let me go. I want to stop the song right now and just say thank you very much, guys, for being uh, host today. And uh, any final words from you, George? What do you want to say? Departing on a jet plane? Uh, just uh, well, I had I did have one story, but I'll save it for another time. It was not when I was airline flying. Uh, but when I was working as a flight instructor. But we'll save it for another day. Great show, Neil. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, George. And I want to owe you to that story. Okay. All yeah. right. Did any did anybody know that uh, John Denver's father was an avid pilot? And John Denver also was a uh, – he was rated in the Lear 24. Wow. Yeah, yeah well, we he knew he his, his father was an Air Force yeah. pilot, wasn't he? I think so, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, final words, Jim Holder. Final words? No, that's too final to me. I'll be around a lot longer. (laughs) He's he's low on on Knob Creek. (laughs) What were you going to say, George? What were you going to say? No, John Denver, that wasn't his real name, you know. No, that's a German name. Weird name. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a a German name, yeah. Yeah. Mm Well, great show, guys. I enjoyed it. A lot of fun talking. All right. Thanks again, Neil. All righty. Good show, Neil. I want to go out with John Denver again. We're going to finish John Denver's song. Hey, three hours to happy hour. There you go. I'm starting mine right now. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Maker's Martin. Jim Hoare, you don't do Maker's Martin anymore, do you? I hate to wake you up. What's, what's your substitute now for a Manhattan, Jim Holder? Oh, it's a Manhattan made with Knob Creek maple smoke whiskey. And it's wonderful. You ever tried that, George or Mike? Yes, I have. I agree with Jim. <laughs> I haven't either. Knob Creek, that's a real good place. You got to get some. Got to get the maple smoke, though. Maple smoke. All right, I'm going to try it. Me too. See you guys next week. I'll be back again. Oh, babe, I hate to go. There's so many times I've let you down. So many times I've played around. I tell you now, they don't mean a thing Every place I go, I'll think of you Every song I sing, I'll sing for you 
when I come back, I'll bring your wedding ring. So kiss me and smile for me. Tell me that you'll wait for me. Hold me like you'll never let me go. John Denver. <laughs> yep. Here we go. We're out.